because we spend maybe a little bit more time at home uh, during this season of the year, is uh, we enjoy doing jigsaw puzzles at our house. In fact, I think it's been a record year at uh, Nan and Papa D's house. I think we're up to seven. And um, most of the time we kind of redo puzzles. You know, we pull them out from the closet and uh, we work them on the coffee table and we enjoy that. And it's, it's a study in, in marriage and different personalities when Amy and I do a puzzle. But we've always been great at projects together. Not that we approach them the same way. But that's a whole other marriage discussion that we're not going to talk about today. Um, but Amy bought one of the... Uh, she bought a new puzzle. It's called the Gingerbread Village if you want to borrow it. But uh, anyhow, I think I actually have a picture. We have a picture on the screen. And I don't know, for some reason this year I started... Uh, when we would finish a puzzle, we would send it to the family group text, and um, you know they would respond initially. And then I noticed number seven got no response. You know, it's like hey, I finished puzzle number seven, donuts, and uh, there was no response to donuts. But anyhow, uh, we just uh, I, I feel this need after I've spent hours and I've completed it to take a picture of it and have someone acknowledge it. You know, before we like, then you just like. <laughs> You crumple it back up and put it back in the box until next year. But we did this one puzzle. Uh, this is a new one. It's actually the largest one. It's a thousand-piece puzzle. And uh, if you look real closely at the picture up top, a little bit to the left off of center, there is a missing piece. Hmm. Don't you hate it? Don't you hate it? All those hours of work and you're frantically putting those last pieces in. And Amy and I look at each other <laughs> and it's like, there's a piece missing. I do have to confess, I threw my two-year-old grandson under the bus on the family group text, and I said, we've completed the puzzle all except for one piece, but Hudson was here today, so probably he, it's in his pocket, he stuffed it in the couch, or he ate it. We don't know. But we came real close to completing the puzzle all except for one piece, except what we noticed was that, and I don't know that you could see it, you'd have to zoom in on it, but just down and left from that, the missing piece was there on top of the puzzle, but had blended in with the other pieces. And isn't that wonderful? When you can put that final piece in, all is right with the world, we've completed the puzzle, and then you crumple it up and put it in the box, and you, know, you bring it to church or whatever you're going to do, use it as a sermon illustration. But, um, you know, kind of as I said, Amy and I are kind of, uh, I kept thinking the, a couple years ago there was one area of life that we were similar in, and then I was mistaken, actually, when I got to talking to her about it. She didn't actually see it the way I saw it at all. But anyhow, but we're kind of a study in contrast. I'm the guy, I'm the guy who's going to take the one piece. Now, we're going to do the edge. You know, you've got to do the edge pieces because you've got to know what's, you know, defining you. And then I'm the guy who's going to look at the pieces for a color scheme or something unique about a piece and I'm literally going to take this picture of this on this box I mean it has to have a picture to it you know and I'm going to take that piece and I'm going to meticulously look and I'm going to find it and I'm going to place that piece uh, where it belongs now listen hey now listen <laughs> But, Amy, this is, this is not a dialogue. This is a monologue this morning. 
the first lady to never speak, and then I start talking about her puzzle skills. And like, wait, wait a second, wait a second. If you would like to stay after the service, she will be having her own discussion about what she's learned about her OCD and other issues that her husband has. But, um, um, you know, every piece has a place. And when you put every piece into place, and they're, they're interconnected, obviously, that it creates a picture. But you have to have every piece in its place. And there's only one place for every piece. And you want every piece so that the picture is complete. And what occurs to me is that speaks to our lives also. That our lives are a lot like a puzzle piece. And God has a picture. He has something he's working towards. Something he has in mind. Something that he is creating. And part of the key, in fact, what is essential to my life is finding out where my peace fits. And there's only one place. But if it's in place, it's a part of the bigger picture. You see, the only way that my life makes sense is when I become a part of the big picture. Now, I think sometimes we, um, we look at our puzzle piece, <laughs> our life, and we go, I don't, I don't really understand. It's, it's a little bit, I, we're going, what is this a picture of? And we try to take it out of the big picture and make sense of it within itself. And it was never designed to make sense by itself. It only makes sense in the larger scheme. Um, And so, I think what part of the key to life is seeing God's big picture so that we find out where our story fits in His story. And for 2019, I want us as a church to talk about that one thing. I want us to talk about one big story. What is it that God has in mind and where does my life fit within that? Um, I want to start, and I'm, this is an introduction Sunday, and uh, we'll jump into our content specifically next Sunday. Um, but in 2019, I would like us uh, to walk through the Bible, take a journey through the Bible, um, but not a journey that is looking at all the minute details. I want us to pull back, and I want us to see the Bible uh, in its bigger sense. I think, quite honestly, sometimes we also... Um, we, we have a Sunday school lesson and we look at one story. 
or we have a verse of scripture over here, and it's like a puzzle piece also. And we go, I, don't, I, I kind of understand that, but we don't see how it interconnects and how it relates and what the big picture is. We just kind of get this and this. My sense is most of us have spent years in church going, oh, I see this piece and I see this piece and I see this piece, but I don't see how it connects. I don't see the big picture. So 2019, I would like us to take, um, and I'll describe this later, a chronological approach to the Bible that will have some... uh, some educational, mental uh, parts to it so that we see where does this particular story fit in time and history and what was going on. What is the geography behind that? My sense is we, we have not put the Bible together in its big picture to see that. My contention is If you don't see that, you can't really see where the little pieces go. And you sure can't see where your life goes unless you see the big picture. It would be like getting this puzzle. This would be be just like torture to me. What if the puzzle came without a picture and there were a thousand pieces and you go, well, wait a second, how do I figure that? And I guess in time you could figure it out. But it would, to me, it would be very frustrating because I, I'd say, what, what are we creating here? What is this a picture of? And maybe you would get some sense by the little pictures, by, by the little pieces, but, but I don't know. Well, here's the thing. God has given us the big picture in his inspired, written revelation in the Bible. It's the big picture. But, but I don't know that we've ever put it together. But you see, I think my life can only have meaning and significance when I discover God's big picture so that I can see where my life, my story fits in his story. And so our theme for 2019 is one big story. Um, It's one story. It's God's story. In fact, life and existence is not really about Daryl Smith's story. (laughs) My life only has meaning when my little story fits in God's big story. But I'm going to tell you, there's only one story going on in the world And it's God's story because he is the sovereign God who created it and is working throughout history to bring it to create the picture that he said, I will create. It is God's story. It's the big story. Uh, What I mean by that is that uh, we're not looking at the minute stories. We're looking at the big picture. And I think many times we lose perspective or we've never put the Bible together to understand what the big picture is, and we either can't make sense of our little picture, or we don't put our little picture in the place that it goes in relationship with the big picture. And I know I've used the story picture, but in 2019, we will talk about one big 
story. Story is very important because the Bible is a story. It's not in chronological order. I'm going to have to talk about that here in just a minute. Um, But to say that it is a story is to say that there is movement and connectedness between the events. Any movie, any book we read has movement and connectedness. It has a storyline. And I would say to you, in the, in the big sense, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and lay this out. The Bible has themes that are running throughout. If, if you do a puzzle, there are several pieces that connect together to create a certain line, a visual line. And so it is in God's story. And there are things that God is revealing about his nature and about mankind. Uh, All through the Bible, God is revealing himself, his character, and who we are. But primarily the Bible is about sin and redemption. 6,000 years from our creation, God has been working and dealing with what happens in Genesis chapter 3. That'll be the second sermon. The fall of man, that we chose to do our own thing. We chose to take our puzzle piece and say, "Mm, I'll make my own reality. And the rest of the biblical record, the inspired record, and history is about God's redemption of redeeming us back to himself, fitting us in to what he is about so that it would bring him glory. One big story. It is amazing to think that God loved us enough uh, that he put the picture on the outside of the box. (laughs) He left us with a written record of who he is, who we are, what he is about, and what he is doing. And we are responsible. No, he's given us this. How silly it would be for me also to buy a puzzle and to have the picture on the outside, but for me to say, oh, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to figure out what this is on my own. When God told us what it's about, he painted us a picture, but it takes a little bit of work, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next 52 Sundays. There are going to be 50 sermons. There are going to be two exceptions to this, and that's going to be Easter, and that's going to be the Sunday before Christmas next year. But for 50 sermons, I want us to look at at a chronological overview, big-picture view of the Bible and the themes that trace through it. And there's going to be some timelines, and there's going to be some geography, and you're going to have handouts every week, and you, if you look at the end of your pews, there's a handout for today because I'm going to be, in just a minute, I'm going to start blah, 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 blah. And it's all right. It's on the sheet, okay? You don't really have to take notes. I'm, I've, I've left you notes. They're not my notes, but I mean, they're notes I created. They're not my sermon notes. But all the information I'm going to be blabbing here in just a second are going to be on those sheets, and they're at either end of your pews, and if there's not enough on your pew, steal from your neighbor. That's the 
what is that, number six commandment or something? No, it's murder. I don't know. Number seven, number seven, thou shalt not steal. But anyhow, the preacher's giving you permission. Um, one big story, tracing the themes. But here it is. Here it is. Listen to me very closely. This is not just about our heads. Um, if we come to this Sunday next year, and let me tell you, it'll be like Revelation 21, the new heaven, glory. We made it. Some of y'all are gonna be shouting louder than others. We made it through the one big story. No, I see it, preacher. Now let's move on to something else. And I understand where things in the Bible and where the books fit, and oh, I get the major characters and the themes, and I, I see it now in the geography and the timeline. I've taken all my handouts and put them in a three-ring binder, and I'm studying them every night so I can see everything in the big picture. If you just get it here, and it doesn't translate here, uh, I don't know. It'll fall short of what the preacher wants. Because I'm telling you, every week, we're going to look at what the major theme is. And then we're going to say, so what? What does this mean to my life? But my contention is, my life does not make sense until I see it as it fits, my story fits in God's story. But let me tell you, there's something in, the, in our hearts and our wills that's going to happen every week. And it's going to start today. What am I going to do about what I just heard? Because I'm going to tell you today, and I'm going to tell you where we're going to end up here in about 20 minutes. 25, if not 30 minutes, maybe 40 by now. There's going to be, have, have to be a choice. Because what I'm telling you is your piece of the puzzle only fits when it fits within the big picture. And you're going to have to make a choice with your piece of the puzzle. What am I going to do with it? And I, am I going to say, well, I, I want to do what I want to do with my piece of the puzzle? And it, it's your piece of the puzzle. You can take it and you can go home. But it only makes sense when it fits within the big picture. And in our hearts, we'll have to make that decision. I can tell you all the information here of what the big picture is. But there is a volitional choice that you must make that says I will surrender so that my peace fits within God's big picture so that my life brings him glory and I'm not doing my own thing I'm telling you today what I'm about to tell you <laughs> is this is the big picture the Bible communicates that but it's going to take some work on your and some thought I'm not saying it's easy. Your preacher's going to, this is the reason I went to school all those years. Because if I can't explain it to you in simple terms, then I don't understand it myself. We're going to look at it from an aerial view, the big picture, to say this is what the Bible is talking about. And I, I, my sense is maybe we haven't done that in the past
history is his story. It is God who has been working. And God has revealed himself, his activity, his nature, his activity, his movement, his plan, his purpose in the Bible. And I want us to talk for a few minutes this morning about the Bible and what is the Bible, how did we get it, and can we trust it that it is the big picture that makes my life make sense and have purpose and meaning? And that's really the question. Uh, the Bible is a collection of 66 books different books, was written by about 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 to 2,000 years. This is an aerial view. Maybe you've never thought about what the Bible is. It is a written record of God and his activity in our world. The most significant truth is that God's word is inspired. It is not man's book, but it is God's book. He is the one who made the puzzle. He put the picture on the outside. He said, this is what you need to know. Apparently, according to God's wisdom, and I trust this, that he has told us everything we need to know about life and godliness, eternity, sin, salvation, and God, right here, inspired word of God. Um, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. If you want a definition of inspiration, it is in 2 Peter 1, 21. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We trust that the Word of God is inspired, breathed from the very heart and mind and soul of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says to his young understudy pastor Timothy, he says, all Scripture is inspired of God all scripture and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness and here's the phrase that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work hmm yes the scripture is inspired not some of it all of it is inspired we'll talk about that in just a moment and it is profitable for us for Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. 
But all of that is for the purpose that I and you might be complete in our understanding of what the picture is and what God is about and what life is about. The implication is without the Scripture, we cannot know what life is about and how my story fits in God's story. We trust in the Bible because it is an inspired Word of God. 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. This is going to be on the test. I'm telling you, this is, yeah, this, that's going to be a, a, on the test. 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. There are 1,189 chapters. The chapters and verses weren't added until way in the Middle Ages. But in our Bible today, there are 1,189 chapters. Um, Do you know what the middle chapter of the whole Bible is? I don't know. This is kind of like God's sense of humor. Psalm 118. It is also the shortest chapter in all the Bible, and God just thought, hey, I'll just do this little quirky little thing. I'm just going to put the middle chapter is going to be the shortest chapter. And then he said, you know what, after that, I'm going to make up for the short one. The longest chapter of the Bible is Psalm 119. Anyhow, that's not going to be on the test. That will be a bonus question. That's very good, Josh. When God spoke to men in his inspired word, he spoke and they wrote in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. That's going to be on the test, Josh. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. Um, And before Gutenberg's invention of the printing press in the 1440s, I don't know if that's going to be on the test. In ancient times, before there was modern printing, Gutenberg in Germany in the 1440s, all documents were handwritten. So the Old Testament was originally written on parchment, scrolls, handwritten. The New Testament was written the same way. When you wanted a copy of the scripture, there would have to be a scribe, which is the part of That's where that person came from, who would hand copy that book or section of scripture for you. So it was was labor intensive. But God inspired the words in Hebrew and Greek. And so God's word is profitable to us primarily because it is inspired. But I also want you to know today that from the original manuscripts. So there was, there was a manuscript at some point where Paul's letter to the Philippians was written down and it was a document until it was copied. Um, those are inspired. But God's written rec- record, revelation, was also reliably preserved from those original documents, manuscripts. So God not only inspired his word, but he has preserved his word so that we have it today. 
The Old Testament was passed down by the Jews who considered the written word to be sacred. It is interesting to note that uh, before the 1940s, the oldest known manuscript of the Old Testament was from 895 A.D. Oh, hundreds and hundreds of years after it was originally written down. The Dead Sea Scrolls in the Qumran community around the Dead Sea were discovered in the 1940s into the 1950s. And so they were first century documents. And um, they verified, they were copies of the scripture and other writings, what the manuscripts have told them, that we have a reliable manuscript copy of the originals so that we know that God's word is accurate. Let's talk about the Old Testament for just a minute, the divisions of the Old Testament. Um, the scripture, as I've said, is not uh, completely chronological. The Old Testament, and I have it on your sheet, is divided into the books of history, the writings, and the prophecies. We're going to use that same threesome in uh, the New Testament. History, the writings, the prophecies. The books of history... Uh, the first five start with the beginning through the life of Moses and the given law. The first five are called the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It gets the children of Israel to the promised land. The next, next historical book is Joshua, that is the entrance and the conquering of the promised land. The book of Judges, which is a time period in Israel's life in which God raised up judges to be their deliverers, and the book of Ruth that fits in that. And then you start in the scripture, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, historical books that uh, take us through the time uh, of God raising up the monarchy until the time uh, that not only Samaria but Jerusalem was destroyed and the children of Israel went into exile. The next historical books are Nehemiah, as, I'm sorry, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And that section finishes the historical section which gets us to them coming back into the land and being reestablished. And toward, it's, it is the end historically, chronologically, it is the end of the Old Testament time period. The writings start, and they are in a chronological sense, just as the history books are within the, themselves, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those are in chronological order. They are writings. They could either be wisdom literature or poetry, worship songs, but they are writings. They are distinct from the historical record. And then you have the prophets. And when they put the order, they put the major prophets, in essence the longest books, what they call the major prophets, but they were considered major because of the length of their books. And so those books are in chronological order, but they're based on size. And so you have Isaiah, the longest, Jeremiah, and then Lamentations, which is also written by Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, and then Daniel. Those are considered the four major prophets, and with Lamentations becomes five books. And then you have the minor prophets, which are pretty much historical. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, 
Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, 12 minor prophets. And that concludes the Old Testament in three sections, which are pretty much chronological within themselves. There is something similar in the New Testament in that you have the books of history. First, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the history of the church, Acts. And then you have the writings of Paul. So you have the history books, and then you have the writings, which were letters in the first century. And they start with Paul's writings because he is so dominant in the early century, the first century. Uh, And they start with his longest books first, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which are all books of Paul to churches. And then when they're putting the order in, they uh, move to the letters of Paul to individuals, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And then they start with the other writers of the New Testament, of the 27 books of the New Testament. And they start with the longest book first, Hebrews, and then James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, which is a little short book. And that finishes the writing section of the letters. And there's one book of prophecy that concludes the Bible and the New Testament, and it is the book of Revelation. And so I want you to see this overview and what the Bible is about so that when we begin to trace out uh, the chronological overview of the Bible that you understand that there are portions of the writings and the prophecies are then placed back within the history books so that they make sense. And we want you to have that overview. The Old Testament uh, was canonized starting in the 5th century B.C. by Ezra. Hmm. Let me define the word canonization. A canon is an old word. I don't know. It's probably Latin or something. That refers to a rule. Uh, It would be equivalent to our yardstick. It is a canon. It is a rule. Canon is a technical word that is used in biblical scholarship to define what books are included in the 66. Which books are considered authoritative, inspired of God, and are included in the canon, the official list of those books, because there were other writings. But which ones are canonized? The Old Testament began to be canonized by Ezra as he collected... Ezra collected the material for the 39 books of the Old Testament starting in the 5th century B.C. By the 3rd century, the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation by Jewish scholars in Egypt, 3rd century B.C., not only did they also include those 39 books, but they put them in the present order that we now have them in what would be considered our Protestant Bible. I have to talk about that here in just a minute. The Jewish Bible, starting in Ezra's time, did not have the order of our books that I've just related to you and that we are familiar with. The Septuagint was the first in the third century as it was translated into Greek. It was not until the Council of Jamnia in 90 AD that 
canonization was finalized and the 39 books of the Old Testament were set. Uh, There are other books that were written during the time period after Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament. Um, There were some 70 books that are included in a group of writings that are called the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha. Um, These books were written in the intertestamental period. There were other books. Um, Later in church history, the Catholic Church adopted some of those 70, 15 of them, to be the Apocrypha that were not considered on the level of the other 39 books. But by the 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church had canonized. And so I'm just telling you this because I don't know when else we're ever going to talk about this. In the Catholic Bible, there's going to be 15 books of the Apocrypha that are also included in the Old Testament, but we as Protestants do not consider them to be the inspired Word of God. The New Testament, which is, obviously I've done more study in the New Testament than I have, I don't know if that's obvious or not, but I have done more study in the New Testament than I have in the Old Testament um, this is the reason, if you've always wondered, why, is, why was Brother Darrell a Greek major? I was a Greek major in college so that I might take uh, the Greek text in its original language and translate it into modern English language and have an understanding of those words before it has been translated. Here's the thing about the New Testament. The New Testament is the most documented, reliable, ancient document by far than any other ancient work. By far. Let me, let me say this. Um, Plato's classic work, The Republic, is written in, I guess, the 6th century B.C. The oldest manuscript for The Republic comes 1,400 years later, I don't know, in the 900s, the 10th century. And there are only seven manuscripts to Plato's Republic known. <laughs> but there's no question it is Plato's Republic and it is, it is documented. Seven manuscripts for Plato's Republic. The New Testament has almost 5,000 manuscripts. Plato's Republic, the closest manuscript is 1,400 years. In the Bible, the New Testament, it is only about two decades time, a short time between the writing of a book and when we have a manuscript. And there are 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament that we can go back to so that we know that God's Word has been reliably preserved. And it was in the early 2nd century that the 27 books began to be canonized. There were 27 books that began in the 2nd century. Within 100 years, less than that, maybe 50 years from the last book being written, that the church... The community of faith began to compile and say, these 27 are the books that are the inspired, authoritative Word of God. There were other works, 
but they were dismissed. So starting in the second century, the New Testament begins to be canonized. There is discussion for several centuries about certain books and whether they ought to be in the canon. But by the fourth century at the Council of Carthage in 397, the New Testament, its canonization was finalized. And the 27 books become set. These are the inspired and errant word of God. And it was actually Jerome in the 4th century, the Catholic theologian, who translates the Hebrew and the Greek into uh, Latin, the Latin Vulgate, that it is Jerome who finalizes the order that I have detailed to you and you are familiar with, with the 66 books. There's more, but it's five minutes till 12. I wanted you to have some sense of what is the Bible, how did we get it, and can we trust it that it accurately portrays the big picture that my life is to fit into. My final admonition to you is also from the words of Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. <laughs> 2 Timothy 2.15, Daryl Smith, Bible Drill, 1970s, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's Old English. My new King James says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul, who is writing his last letter before he is executed, says to the young man, be diligent to be a worker of a student of God's word that you know it, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be a student. Apply yourself to the word of God as a young minister. And I say that inspired word of God to us today. My challenge to you is that in this next year that you would apply your minds to maybe see God's word from the big picture. It's going to take some work. In fact, every week I'm going to leave you a little bit of homework. The bottom of your handout, you're going to know what I'm going to be talking about next week. We're going to talk about creation. If there was a sign reading for next Sunday's sermon, and this is kind of a short week, quite honestly. It's going to get longer. We're going to lump all 12 minor prophets in one Sunday, but it's going to be a lot. But Genesis 1 and 2, we're going to talk about creation next week. It's one of the major 50 themes, obviously, that help us see the big picture. It's going to take some work, and I'm going to ask you to apply your minds 
so that you could understand the history, the geography, and the big picture of God's work. But as I said in the beginning, that's not going to be enough. What I'm going to ask you to do is that when you learn it in your mind, that then you apply it to your life. I'm asking you to apply your minds, but what you learn in your mind, you apply to your life. And here's my challenge to you today. You can sit there and you can walk out today. Well, we all going to walk out unless you want to sit here, okay? Well, the office will be open about 7 in the morning if you want to be here. But No, we're going to walk out of here in just a minute. But there's a choice that you will make today. Will I choose to surrender to the Bible as God's inspired record of what life is really about? If that is the picture on the outside of the box, why wouldn't you study it, memorize it, know it, so that when you found a piece you go, oh, I guarantee that goes right over there because I've looked at the picture and I've studied it. It's going to take some effort. But you have to apply yourself. And you have to apply the truth to your life. And this Sunday, the question is, how will you spend 2019? Many of us, some of us, I don't know. I did. (laughs) Read through the Bible in 2018. I've got a couple days reading left. But I'm almost there. What will you do? Or will you take your puzzle piece and say, well, I, I know, I understand. But I think I'm going to try to find out the meaning of my life and what that is all about. Or would you take the time to study and to read so that you can not only apply with your mind, but you can apply with your life. And you would say, God, if you love me enough to give me a picture of what life is really about, would I give my time and my energy to know that. And that's, that's your choice today. That's my challenge to you. Would you devote yourself to, in 2019 to know God's word so that you can see the picture, so you can see how your story fits in God's big story? Would you stand with me this morning? Father, today... Uh, in this time of commitment and decision. Um, I pray that uh, you would draw our hearts to study and know your written word for our lives and that, Father, the commitment on this day is that whatever you teach us, I will surrender my life to fit not the way I want, but where you want it. And Father, I pray that it would be for your glory. And so, Father, today we pray that you would continue to work in our lives as a church. And you would teach us and you would change us, Father. And we pray it in Jesus' name.